Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Paul Emile. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. We're happy to be back after our week off last week and we're actually recording face-to-face for the first time in eight or nine months. Yeah, it's got to be close to that. Yeah, because the border's been shut down for quite some time and we were supposed to see each other last week but that got delayed. But here we are finally and it's nice to actually see you. It is, and that's the first time we record face-to-face in your province. That's true. We did it in New Brunswick last year, but never here. So welcome to my recording studio. And I'm glad to be here. Don't mind the feral cat. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer so far and safely able to spend time with their family and loved ones. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the case of a young woman who went missing in a provincial park in northern Ontario. The case we're going to be talking about is the disappearance of Christina Kalaika. Christina was 20 years old and living in Toronto when she and some friends decided to head out for a camping trip. This was on Sunday, August 5th of 2007. And according to thetruecrimefiles.com, they headed to Rainbow Falls Provincial Park, which is actually about a 14 or 15 hour trip from Toronto. That's a long drive. A very long drive. And I love a park, I love a nature preserve, but they were only going for a long weekend. It does seem a little bit excessive, but I do remember being 20 years old. Like as I was writing this episode, it hit me. I drove to Ottawa from New Brunswick to run a half marathon over a long weekend uh, with my brother, which is about a 13-hour drive. So I guess when you're 20, something like that is just spontaneous and fun, and you have the energy to recuperate pretty quickly. I recall playing cards, and at 2 o'clock in the morning where we lived, there was nothing open. Everything had, The whole town had been rolled up at 9 o'clock and make a decision that we're driving to Quebec City because we want pizza and you know it's probably like a six or seven hour drive so it's breakfast by the time you got there right right yeah i also went on the ontarioparks.com website and the park does look beautiful it has some camping hiking uh swimming all kinds of activities it's it's actually on the edge of lake superior it's a beautiful spot and christina deserved a little vacation She'd been working nonstop since graduating from college, so she had a degree in early childhood education. And according to the article in katebarker.com, she'd been working really hard and was just um, looking to enjoy her time off. The reason she was working so hard wasn't actually just for herself, but she was helping her mother get her financial advisor business off the ground. So when Christina started working, her mother quit. Her mother was working several jobs and quit them to focus on her business. So part of Christina's paycheck was actually going to her mother. It sounds like Christina's family was really tight-knit, that everyone was very close and helped one another. 
Christina was very involved in her church as well. So this trip that she took, it was herself and her cousin, as well as two other friends from their church group. Are any people in that group experienced campers or they all just make the decision to go and... They all made the decision to go. They were not avid campers or outdoors people. Um, they just wanted a getaway. So who was going? It was Christina, her cousin Faith, and their two friends from the church group, Eddie and Joe. None of them are experienced campers. I think what they did was basically do a Google search looking for a park that had a waterfall. And then they came upon this and being young and full of energy, you know, driving 14 hours away just seemed like a fun road trip. Rainbow Falls Campground is pretty small. Generally, it's frequented mostly by local people, people from the surrounding community. It's not a place that a lot of people would, you know, flock to from outside of town. By the time they got to the park, it was noon on Sunday, August 5th. They hung out for a while, probably unwinding from the long car ride. They ate, and then they decided to take a nap. According to katebarker.com, they were supposed to sleep for about 30 minutes, and one of them had set an alarm, but it didn't wake them up, or they just turned it off, and I can imagine how exhausted they must have been after that long trip, but they actually slept until 10.30 p.m. Well, they were tired. Were they in a tent? Yes. Okay. So they woke up in, it's not the middle of the night, but the beginning of the night, but they decided to make most of the situation, so they got a bonfire going. They hung out for hours, they were chatting and eating, having a couple of drinks. And according to all the articles I looked at, they really, um, they really specified that they weren't getting drunk. They were sipping on some drinks, having a social time, but they weren't drinking to get drunk. By 4 a.m. they decided it was time to go to bed. So August, 4 a.m., the sun's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, it's starting to get light. Now 6.30 rolls around, and Christina and Eddie are both wide awake, which is understandable. I mean, they just had a really um, weird schedule there with their, their super long nap, and then it would be hard to sleep past that. And they had a little chat, and they decided to get up and go for a run. Again, to have the energy of a 20-year-old. Yeah. I saw different information from different sources. The KateBarker.com, which is a really extensive article on uh, Christina's disappearance, she says that Christina was an occasional runner. So she'd run from time to time, but she'd had a foot injury that would cause her pain, so it wasn't really her exercise of choice. She really preferred volleyball. But in another article in the National Post, it says she hated running. She would never do it. So I think some people might feel a little bit suspicious about this happening, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that her friend said, I'm going to go for a run, and she said she would as well. It's just a new adventure. But one thing I do want to point out here is that Christina was not a long-distance runner. She was, at best, an occasional runner. As a runner myself, and I dabbled off and on, so sometimes I'm more dedicated to it than others, I think for someone who doesn't run very much, at best, looking at a five-kilometer distance would probably be the most she would go. Beyond that, it would start feeling like, like a lot. So Eddie and Christina set out for a run, but they quickly decided to split up. 
Christina wanted to run along some of the park trails and Eddie wanted to run along the highway. He was a runner. He was training, uh, trying to become a firefighter. So he was working on his physical fitness. So I think he really wanted that distance. They ended up parting ways and Eddie last saw her heading to the trail that led to the falls. They didn't make any plans about meeting up when they left each other's company. I mean, I'm guessing they just assumed when they were done, they'd meet back at the campsite. Eddie ended up running for about an hour before returning to the camp. Christina was never seen again. When Eddie got back to the camp, Joe and Faith were still asleep in the tent. So at this point, it's 7.30, give or take. He hung out in a camping chair and dozed off and on while he was waiting for his friends to get up. Around 9.30, Faith and Joe got up, and Christina still wasn't back. So she would have been gone about three hours at this point. I find it odd that uh, they decided to split up and made no plans on meeting up again. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility of just being like, I'm going to go this way, you go that way, I'll see you back at the camp. Like Beyond that, I don't feel like it would necessarily be something that would require a plan. But that being said, I do feel like three hours is a long time. It is a long time, and she's in unknown territory. Right. Like The first thought I would have is, they got injured, and they can't make it back, so we need to go look. But... When Faith and Joe got up, they said they weren't particularly worried. Like sometimes she would wander off on her own. So they thought that maybe she'd gone to the beach or decided to do a hike and would be back later. As they started preparing breakfast, Joe actually headed out to see if he could find Christina on the beach, thinking like he'd tell her to come back for breakfast, but he came back without her. By the time 11 o'clock hit, they were starting to get concerned. Joe and Eddie headed out looking for her around the area, so going along the trails. And it needs to be said, like, there are a few trails, but it's not like there's hundreds of them. And most of them are relatively short. There's two longer distances, one really long trail that does, like, 53 kilometers, and one that's about 13 kilometers. So they started looking around, and Faith stayed at the camp in case Christina came back. But they didn't talk to anyone. So they didn't ask anyone if they'd seen Christina. They were just basically looking by themselves. They didn't raise an alarm with the authorities. At one point, one of the men learned about the hiking trail that spanned about 13 kilometers. And they had the thought that maybe she'd gotten on that trail and gone too far and decided to just finish it. So they decided to get in the car and go to the end point of that trail and see if she was there, just kind of waiting for everyone. I suppose at this point they're probably grasping at straws. Well, it makes sense in case she shows up there or even be a good place to start and do the trail backwards to look for her. Right. They left a note at the campsite and piled into the car to see if they could find her. At the gate of the park, the attendant asked them a few questions. I'm pretty sure they must have looked a little stressed. And they actually admitted that Christina was missing. So the attendant said it was pretty unlikely that she'd gotten to the other end of that trail. And he told them that they should be contacting the Ontario Provincial Police. This would have been around 1.45 p.m. at that point. And the park staff got in motion and started looking for Christina. So she's been gone almost seven hours. Yeah. 
Christina's mother got a call around 4 p.m. that evening. The OPP called her. Her mother had known that Christina was going camping, but didn't realize she was actually going that far away. So she just said, you know, I'm going up north camping. And Christina's 20. Like, I can see her not overly questioning that plan. But immediately her mom booked a flight and headed to the park to help look for her daughter. A few hours after she was reported missing, a full-scale search was started. Christina was last seen wearing a blue hoodie and a purple striped shirt, as well as black pants and and white running shoes, according to Canadian Crimeopedia. She was 5'2 and about 126 pounds of Filipino descent with black hair and brown eyes. In total, about 100 trained civilians and officers helped search for Christina. And it wasn't a half-hearted search. Everyone was sure they'd find her. They were using all sorts of technology, so GPS, sonar. Um, They were searching the waterways. They had search dogs. They had these, I believe they're called hasty parties. So basically, it's a search party that doesn't do like a grid search. They basically think about where is most li- where would a human being most likely have headed and they try to hit those main spots so they're not being super thorough but they're trying to just do like right. a quick here and there in the most likely areas just trying to retrace their steps exactly and apparently people that go missing in parks or in nature in general are found within 24 hours either they make their way out by themselves or a search party finds them and 95% of those cases are resolved. A few clues were found according to katebarker.com. So they found a pair of socks and some footprints, but likely those socks didn't actually belong to Christina. They were much too big and there was a river, so they thought it was probably just a swimmer that discarded that. And they never could prove one way or another whether those footprints were Christina's. Well, it's a provincial park. There's bound to be other people around and, and other pieces of clothing. They searched for 17 days. At that point, the Ontario Provincial Police had to admit that the search was over. They'd not been able to locate Christina. A lot of people believe that she didn't disappear in the woods that day. And I can see why. There's really no sign of her. Many people believe she was abducted. So there was a big car rally happening in the area that weekend. And that was in the vicinity of the park. And a lot of town, a lot of people were in from out of town. So people feel that she may have come across someone with bad intentions and may have gotten abducted. They raise a possibility that she may have been attacked by an animal. I feel that's rather unlikely. The only thing, August, bears. That was brought up. But you almost feel being a busy park, a long weekend, there would have been a fair bit, a fair few people there. I almost feel like someone would have heard a scream. Like sound travels when you're outside and there's not traffic noise and things like that. And also they, I feel like they would have found a sign searching so thoroughly. Well, the searchers would have found a piece of clothing or something. Right. And they really found nothing. Now, other people have pointed the finger towards the group she was with. I honestly didn't see a lot of speculation about anything happening there. Do I guess I, I, I do question a little bit because when they went to bed at 4 a.m., her other friends would have seen her. But the 6.30 a.m. run and all of that was just 
something that Eddie can corroborate, no one else. And as far as I know, no one saw them running. So there might be questions there, but there doesn't seem to be any real suspicion there. And Christina's mother does not believe that any of her friends or her cousin had anything to do with her disappearance, according to a National Press article from 2007. The timeline also doesn't give him that much time if he's involved in something with her disappearance. Right, and the thing is as well, when you hear something like that, you're thinking, well, maybe something happened late at night with the group and they got scared and covered it up. But there's actually pictures of the evening, like leading up to 4 a.m. Things are time-stamped. So, and they were just having like a really chill, relaxed time. Again, it didn't appear like anyone was overly intoxicated. Nobody reported anything like that. So... I feel like the most likely scenario is abduction. I wonder if she didn't come back out to the road shortly after her her friend kept on running yeah. and decided that the trail was too rough. Or Wanted to meet back up with him while he was on his way back. Possibly, and somebody would have picked her up right off the road. It could be, and there is also um, mention. So when they were doing their road trip to the park, at one point, they ran out of gas and hopped in with a random person who brought them to the gas station back to the car. And some people wonder if that person didn't follow them. But again, this would have been like 15 hours later. So it's not impossible. But I, to me, it really does. Like People don't just disappear into thin air, though sometimes it seems that way. With the seriousness that the park attendants and the provincial police put into the search... I feel like if it was an animal attack or she'd gotten hurt, she would have been found. I think so. Or, or some clues would have been found. And also, had she gotten hurt, like her family does say, she wasn't someone who took risks. Just before that happened, some of her friends got lost in the woods. And she was saying that she would never, ever take a risk where that could happen. So you're to assume that she actually stuck to the trail. Yeah, or got on the trail and decided it was too risky to be there alone and came back out to the road. Right. So we don't know what happened. Like right now, I'm just kind of speculating based on the evidence we have, but um, I do think a lot of signs point in that direction. Did they have or did she have a phone that could be traced? They don't mention a phone at all. I would assume she didn't have it on her person if she did have it because they don't mention it. Nobody tried to call her or anything like that. So I don't think she necessarily, if she had one, I don't think it was on her. The other question is, like within, I don't know, an hour's drive from that area, had there been other missing cases there? Nothing that was brought up. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why, the like the little communities, you hear that all the time, it's very safe, nothing ever happened. So that's why I think a lot of people point to the rally but we all know that in little communities where nothing ever happens, sometimes things do. Yeah, and the city folks that were at the rally probably would be the first ones the locals would try to accuse. It could be somebody within the community. Exactly. So, I mean, I think often we're, we're quick to point the finger at strangers, but sometimes the danger is very close to home. Now, all that being said, I think you and I both know firsthand that in the woods, you don't need to be very far from civilization for something to happen. I mean, we lost a family member who went missing in a national park. He had a tragic accident. 
She was reported missing, but quickly located, despite the fact that no one knew exactly where he was when that happened. Right, and it was long enough ago that there was no cell phone tracking like there is now, but it was still, I think, a couple of days. Christina is still considered a missing person, and police are still open to any tips or information that could lead to finding her. After all these years, Christina's family is left without answers about how their loved one could be there one minute and gone the next. If you have any information about Christina's disappearance, please contact the OPP at 1-877-934-6363 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. I think it's important for people, even after these years that she's gone missing, that are in that area hiking. You see something, a shoe, a shoelace, anything. A piece of clothing. A piece of clothing, I think they should report it. It may be nothing, but it may be the one clue they need to be able to resolve this. Right, I do think that's important as well. I almost feel like places where people have gone missing, like the last place they were seen or wherever they think they might be, it would be nice to actually have like, maybe like a panel up with a poster just telling people, please report if you find anything. That wouldn't be that hard to do. Because if I went to Rainbow Falls Provincial Park and didn't know and saw something, I might ignore it. But if I was, I saw going into that trail or coming into the park that A person went missing here, they've never been found, we're still searching for them. If you see anything suspicious or out of place, please call. I think that's a good idea, especially for people that had never heard about the case. It could mean the difference between solving a case that's quite old or solving one that's recent. Or preventing something. Preventing one. You You find a sneaker. And you report it, and the person has just been missing for a couple of hours and had some medical issue or a fall or something. Mm-hmm. So, and when when you're in the woods or in a park, like they've, it's not like there's a PA system they can get on and let you know. So you might be quite unaware of what's going on elsewhere in the park. So we're going to wind down with a moment of kindness. Do you have one? Uh, the only thing I'd like to mention is we're recording this on... Canada Day Mm -hmm. and uh, I just hope that the episode's coming out on Sunday but people took a minute to think of all the troubles right now and the hardship and the pain that Indigenous communities are going through with all of these unmarked graves unmarked graves and graves that were marked that the markers were destroyed Mm -hmm. Um, just take some time to think about what to think about what they're going through you know, if you can, reach out in a peaceful way. You're right. I think instead of a moment of kindness, we can all take a minute to remember the pain that people are going through. It's important for us to be allies and to help as much as possible or just be ready to learn. But I I think we all need to be aware of what's happening and we can't turn a blind eye to it. Obviously, it's not... This did not happen at one residential school where they found unmarked graves so far. It seems like every spot they've looked, it's been the same case. And um, people have been going through pain for generations and generations because of this. So we need to listen. We need to learn and become allies. 
We can't just ignore it. So we're just going to take a moment of silence at the end of this episode to honor all of the lives lost. And hopefully, moving forward, we do better. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. Good night.